All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 through 16. I'm going to read, y'all follow along, okay? This is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 through 16. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let's go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that has to come. Verse 15, through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And all God's people said, amen. Let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your blessing, and today, especially Thanksgiving, this is a day where we remember what it means to give thanks and why we ought to give thanks. Uh, but truly... I pray that today you would open our eyes to the real reason, and that is because of your son, Jesus. And so we, I speak uh, in his name, and I pray that we would all listen in his name. And I pray that today, uh, as EM and as youth, as we all gather together, Father, that we would rejoice in your presence and rejoice in the great I am. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, so I recently discovered this text. I recently rediscovered this text and was blown away by the fullness of its meaning. You know there's a saying that goes something like, you can't see the forest for the trees, or something along those lines, meaning we tend to focus on one thing so much that we soon forget the beauty of, I guess in this case, the whole forest. Unsurprisingly, it's no different when it comes to our Christian faith. Sometimes we just fixate, right? Fixate (coughs) on one particular aspect of our faith, and we neglect all the other parts. And so here in this passage, we're brought to this text that gives us a little bit of everything. By the way, we usually get like 15, 20 people on these Thanksgiving mornings, and right now it's like, it's like Sunday service. This is, this is awesome. So cool. Give each other a high five. <clears throat> all right. So we get kind of like the fullness <coughs> of this text of really the message here and that, in, in that we see the centrality of Jesus' work on the cross. Not only that, we see something of this relationship between the Old and New Testament. We also see the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. But lastly, we also see what kind of life that discipleship should produce. So it's kind of like the whole Christian forest of faith in a way, right? So I just want to cover a couple points today, though. My first point is this. Jesus makes his followers outside Everyone say this. Say outsiders. <clears throat> outsiders, okay? Now, just that word alone, it brings back really bad memories. Does that for anyone else too? No? You're all cool kids growing up? You're part of the popular group? Okay, so I remember I went to summer camp when I was growing up, okay? It was at congressional camp, and it was during summer, and I had to go for first, second, third, and fourth grade. Every single summer. And I remember almost every day, all those other kids, they all went to, I went to a, um, I went to a private school. And so none of my private school friends attended this other camp. So all the students that were there already knew each other from their public schools or other schools that they attended. So for four summers, essentially, every single day, I would sit alone for lunch. This. Feel bad for me. Okay, I would sit alone, and I'll be eating my bland hot dog or whatever burger, 
and I would sip on my, I would, it would always have fruit punch, and you'd have like 200 kids with stained upper lips by the end of it, right? And so it was, <clears throat> it was a really lonely time in a way. And I would just always be looking at the clock, waiting for the clock to strike 12.30 so we could go to our next activity. And I would look longingly at the other groups that had tables filled and full with people. And there was always this, I even know their names because they ended up going to my high school, right? And it was a guy named Evan. And he was like the popular guy, blonde hair, blue eyes, tall, statuesque, good looking and everything. And then he was dating the prettiest girl there. Her name was Olivia, right? Red hair, green eyes, tall. St- everyone, so you got to be statuesque and pretty, right? Anyways, so they're the popular group, and I was just there just staring at them, <laughs> drinking my punch and everything like that. And so um, I remember distinctly, I wanted to be part of that group. I, I, I hated being on the fringes. I hated being the outsider, you know, and... and and so that's how it was a big part of me, just wanted to hang out with them. But even as adults, we do a lot of things to be accepted by our peers too, don't we? Right? Like I was peer pressured by G1 to join the Football Fantasy League. I didn't want to because <laughs> I knew I was going to lose. Right? <coughs> but I did. So <clears throat> we, we all get peer pressured to do this. I know all of us, we like our alone time, especially as you get older. Right? But whether it's with friends or family or church, not, no one wants to be excluded. Here in this passage, Jesus makes our position really clear. He says to his followers, to his disciples, he goes, you know what? You're not going to be popular. You're going to be on the outside. Okay, turn to your neighbor and say, you're not going to be popular. But here's the beauty of it. Jesus says, but I'm already on the outside, so join me. How reassuring is that? Right? He says, as a Christian, as a follower, as a disciple, you're going to be on the outside, but you can join me on the outside. That's beautiful. So let me explain where I get this from. The book of Hebrews has been teaching us about Jesus and following him, about sh- <coughs> and following him, and by showing how the Old Testament pointed to him, right? So in verse 11, we get this, the description of the Day of Atonement, that once a year sacrifice, that was to remind us that all the daily and all the weekly and all the monthly sacrifices never really atoned for sin. That, so this once a year sacrifice was a big deal. It's kind of like the Thanksgiving situation, once a year family gathering. It's a big celebration. Israel celebrates this day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, so it's a big deal. And if you guys are thinking that still doesn't make any sense, you're thinking, why does this particular day, this once a year day, why does this have greater significance over those days, other days that you give sacrifices? Let me explain. There is this intricate way from Leviticus 16 that the, that the high priest carries out on this particular day. The high priest, <coughs> they would normally wear a very official robe whenever they preach, teach, whenever they do the other sacrifices. But on this particular day, they set their official robes aside and they wore pretty much nothing. They wore just a white garment, very plain Jane, okay? Then they would sacrifice a young bull and a ram as an offering for himself and the priesthood. Then he'd fill his censer with live coal from the altar, and he entered the Holy of Holies. The incense would fill the room with smoke. It would mask the mercy seat. It would cover the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments were. And then the high priest took some of the blood of the sacrifice, and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and then he would make atonement for himself. So stay with me, okay? Then the priest went out and sacrificed a goat as an offering for the sins of the people. And some of the blood of that goat was taken back into the Holy of Holies, sprinkled on the mercy seat. Then the high priest took a second goat and he laid hands upon it. Okay, And he confessed 
the sins of Israel and this goat, which was called the scapegoat. Everyone say, ah. Okay. It was driven into the desert, which symbolized the carrying away of sins of the people. But I'm not done. As I mentioned previously before, there was the sacrifice of bull and goat, right? Well, these animals were taken outside the city and they were burned, which was different from all the other sacrifices of the daily, the weekly, monthly sacrifices that were made in that <coughs> the daily, weekly, monthly sacrifices were eaten by the priests, by the people. But this time, this bull, this ram, it was taken out, or goat, it was taken outside and it was just burned and sacrificed that way. So this is where it gets interesting because this is where you begin to see Christ. Jesus is the great high priest, but unlike other high priests, Jesus didn't have to make atonement for his own sin. Why? Because he was perfect. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is perfect. He had no sins. Jesus offered his blood once and for all, something that none of the other sacrifices, the daily, the weekly, the monthly, even the day of atonement, could ever do. Only Jesus' blood could pay for sins completely, forever, without the need of an annual ritual. But not only that, just as the sacrifice was burned outside the camp, outside the walls of Jerusalem, so also Jesus was atoned for on the cross. He was sacrificed <coughs> outside the city gates of Jerusalem where he hung on the cross. Look, this may sound unimportant, but hear what the writer of Hebrews is saying to the struggling believers like us. In verse 13, 14, Therefore, let's go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that has to come. In other words, he's saying this, if Jesus, the Son of God, the Word who became flesh, our Savior and Lord, was, was, was <clears throat> disgraced and he was humiliated and he died for the people, he's saying then we too as followers, followers of Christ must be prepared to be disgraced, prepared to be humiliated, prepared to follow him and be mocked. I think what's become of the Christian movement here, especially in America at least, is that everyone here expects, as Christians, <clears throat> we expect people to understand us. We do. We expect people to understand us. We expect people to get with the Word of God, to see where I'm seeing, to, to, to get, understand my perspective. That's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. You can't go to someone. I remember when I was growing up, and uh, our, our pastor encouraged us to go and evangelize to our school friends. I went and I shared the Word of God. This was probably middle school. And I, I was sharing the Word of God to this one friend of mine. And she says, well, I, I don't believe that God exists. And I said, well, the Bible says so. Okay? She's like, I don't believe in the Bible. And that's when I, this huge explosion occurred in my mind. Not everyone believes the Bible. So we keep thinking this as Christians right now. We think everyone should kind of understand where we're coming from. And so we get shocked when people don't see eye to eye on things that we care about. And so we hate this idea of being marginalized. We get offended and dumbfounded if someone calls us a bigot or narrow-minded or, or ignorant. We scratch our heads when the mainstream media calls us wild-eyed fundamentalists or radicals. And we get confused. But why? You see, in Jesus' day, they called Jesus all those things too. They were the ones who rejected Christ, the Son of God. They criminalized him, and they executed him because they didn't believe him. They didn't see eye to eye. They didn't trust him. They didn't agree with him. They hated him. That was mine. So much in the same way, guys, you and I, we can't be surprised in this day when the world acts like the world. 
You get that? When the world acts like <clears throat> the unbelieving world that it is, it's okay, brothers and sisters, if you're on the fringes, if you're on the outside, because that's where Christ is. If you have a fear of being misunderstood or judged because of your faith, don't fear. As followers of Jesus, unless they too have the light of Christ, you will not be understood. But here is this, and get this, our job isn't to ensure that they get the gospel. Our job is to ensure that they hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit will be the one to open their eyes and their hearts to realize and accept the amazing truth of Christ. So don't feel bad when you're not connecting. For what does light have to do with darkness? Right? <clears throat> Our second point is this. Disciples produce a life of gratitude. Let me explain. <clears throat> or turn to your neighbor and say, be grateful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Have you ever heard of someone who, after having gone through a difficult event in their life, then say, yeah, you know, me getting fired from that job was the best thing to have ever happened to me? Have you ever said that, perhaps? Yeah. The reality is sometimes devastating events or hardships we endure in this life, they end up setting us free. They end up setting us free from the things that would have otherwise bound us. Have, have any of you guys ever been in a relationship, and after you broke up and you were devastated, but after some time you're like, that was the best thing have ever happened to me, right? You feel free. So again, from this passage, this idea of being a follower of Jesus makes us outsiders. may not be the best news to hear this Thanksgiving morning, but being on the outside, get this, will actually set you free. So consider this. On a secular, worldly level, the person who's always worried about being accepted by others, always trying to get the approval of their peers, what kind of life is that? That's suffocating. And, you know, as a former youth pastor, I dealt with a lot of, especially young girls, but also guys too, who are constantly wanting to feel validated by their peers, to dress a certain way, to talk a certain way, to act a certain way, even though they didn't want to do anything like that. And this constant pressure, it was suffocating. It was like bondage. While on the other hand, the one who really doesn't concern themselves with those pressures, they're typically free to enjoy life, aren't they? They're typically free to enjoy life. Let's look at verse 15, 16. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not <coughs> neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So what does Jesus do here? He frees us from the pain and shackles of religious expectations. And now he calls us to simply live our lives in gratitude and praise. Let's think about this some more. Jesus didn't make us outsiders to make us miserable, okay? He's not doing this to just make, bring misery and pain and judgment and suffering. Jesus planned this in such a way that he wants us to be on the outside because it is on the outside that you can actually enjoy and be free to live in gratitude. It is on the outside where you won't be confound, or <clears throat> bound by the restrictions of the world, or things like that. So there's something incredibly freeing about being a follower of Christ, people. When Paul was threatened, he said, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, meaning there's absolutely nothing the world and its powers can do to the ones who are atoned for. He's saying, look, you, the world, you can try to get me, but I have the power, I have the authority, I have the grace, I have the mercy, and I have the love of God. You can't do anything to me. I am free. I am truly free. 
So within this context, you need to understand the people of those days had to make a sacrifice for virtually everything. You had to bring a sacrifice to thank God for your harvest. You had to bring a sacrifice to atone for your sin. You had to bring a sacrifice to express your love and your adoration in God. You had to bring a sacrifice to express your vows of faithfulness to God. You had to bring a sacrifice for your sacrifice. I'm just kidding, right? You had to bring a sacrifice for just about everything. And so we learn from the sacrifice of Jesus that his sacrifice was ultimate. It was complete, and he made an end to all sacrifices. What does that mean for us? That means that we don't have to try to live righteously, hoping that somehow our efforts will get us to God. We don't have to do the dance to get the hug. We don't have to jump through hoops. All we need to do in this life, get this, <clears throat> okay, as much as you feel like God is putting all these demands and expectations on you, it's not him. It's you that's putting on yourself, okay? Anytime in this life for us as Christians, we have one calling, and that is not to do this and do that and do this and do that, thinking that this is what is expected of us and this is our holy kind of divine um, job, he says this simply. He says, rest in me on the outside where I'm at. Rest in me and trust in his once and all, once and for all sacrifice that it was good enough. See, if you're not resting in life in Christ, then you're doing something wrong. If you're not resting in Christ and you're not living on the outside and living with a life filled with gratitude and praise of him, then you're going to be truly burdened no matter how diligent, how faithful you may be acting. Why should we be grateful today? Is it because the pilgrims came over on Mayflower and broke bread with the Native Americans? Or are we grateful because we got that school of our choice or we got into that job of our choice? Those are all good things and good reasons to be thankful for. But true thanksgiving comes from the heart of people who are free. True thanksgiving comes from the heart of people who are free. Not free from worship, but free to worship. Free to worship God without the fear of what the world demands of us. Free to rest in Christ even when life presents difficulties. We can truly be thankful. Get that. Because at a time and place in our lives where we will be misunderstood, where there are certain expectations of us, when there's a greater burden to be called a Christian, we can be thankful knowing that Jesus has set us free as outsiders. And as a result, I can freely live a life of complete gratitude for the greatness of God's grace. I can live in complete gratitude of, of greatness of God's uh, love and his faithfulness in the way that he extends his grace to others. We don't have to bring sacrifice to the temple every day or today, but we're still called to live lives of self-sacrifice. So in a very real way, <clears throat> get this. This is, the, this is the main point. This is what I'm ending on. Everything unessential in our lives is now stripped away in Christ. There's no ritual to be observed. There's no expectation that must be met. There's only Christ to be lived out. Only Christ to be lived out. That is what it means to be a disciple of Christ, that he is number one in your life. I just want him. I only want to do things for him. I want to bring glory to him. So how can we do that? It's only when we're on the outside with him that we can live a life truly with gratitude. You guys believe that? You guys understand that? That's how we can be thankful. When I know that my life is not defined by anything else but who I am in Christ. That gives me freedom to live a life that truly is filled with great joy and great gratitude. Let's pray. So let's bow our heads. Now you've, perhaps you've been, it's been difficult for you to live a life of gratitude. 
Maybe for you, the whole expression of counting your blessings has proven to be difficult because there's not much to be thankful for these days. Maybe you're going through a hard time. Maybe you're going through marital issues. Maybe you're going through financial problems. Maybe academic problems. Whatever it might be, okay? God is, our text here is saying this. Those aren't the things in which you should be finding, which you should find gratitude or uh, which you should be grateful for. It is found in Christ being on the outside, even marginalized, but finding freedom in him that you can truly live a life of gratitude. It's freeing. And because it's freeing, you can be grateful. I want you guys to think about that for a second. We can gratefully worship him. We can gratefully be who we are because we are on the outside. Because we have him. We're free because he's freed us. So let's take a few minutes and just pray with thanksgiving in our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for saving me. Think about the text. Think about what he's done for us. How he's freed us through the cross. How he was taken outside. How he was executed outside. How he atoned. He used atonement for our sins. <clears throat> okay. So let's take a few moments and just pray right now.